for our scripture reading, we'll read from the second book of the Old Testament, the uh, Exodus and chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said said to Moses, Go on before the people, and take with you some of the elders of Israel, Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel And because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out to fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book, and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. This far the reading of God's Word, and may He bless it to our hearts. And this afternoon we will focus on the last section of this chapter, uh, from verse 8 to the end, where Amalek comes out and fights against the people of Israel. Now, dear congregation, did you complain this week? Or children, did you complain about something? Or 
You know, if you think of what you complained about or worried about this week, did you also pray for that? Did you also ask God to help you in your trouble? And if you look at your life from that perspective and compare what you might complain about or what you might go to God for, what, what does it show about our dependence on God? What does it show about how dependent we are on God or how, we, how often we go to Him for our needs? Well, here Israel had recently been delivered out of Egypt, out of slavery, and now they've been led into the wilderness. And as soon as they entered the wilderness, even before they entered the wilderness, they were faced with many trials. And you see them complaining at many times. Back just a few chapters where they entered, in chapter 15, it says, for the first three days that they entered the wilderness, they found no water. A trial. Then they ran out of food in chapter 16. Another trial. And again, it says they complained that Moses had brought them out of Egypt and they they wanted to go back to Egypt because there was so much food there. They'd forgotten that they were slaves. All they cared about was the food. But now here in chapter 17, again, they run out of water. And it says the people now contended with Moses. And each time their contentions became stronger against Moses, they brought stronger accusations against him. Their complaining increased. And yet, each time the Lord showed them that He would provide for them. He gave them water. He rained bread down from heaven, showing that He was the bread of life, that He would sustain them with food. when When Moses had to hit the rock with his staff, the water came out. He was showing them that He was the water of life, that He is the one who supplies all that they need for their soul. So God is teaching Israel that all their life and all their help comes from God. And you notice how he did this. Because in the, in the beginning of this chapter 17, it says, they moved from the one wilderness to Rephidim, another part, according to the commandment of the Lord. And it's where the Lord sent them that these trials came. That's where they had no water. That's where the enemies would come and attack. And so you see how the Lord leads his people into even a place where they will face these challenges and trials to teach us to trust in the Lord for all our needs. Because it does not take long. But it's even because of these trials that now, instead of recognizing God's hand in it all, they begin to blame God. They begin to complain to God. They doubted that God was even with them. They said in verse 7, Is the Lord among us or not? And how often does that happen in the Christian life? It doesn't take long before we face trials. It doesn't take long before we ask the same question, is God with us or not? We can become discontent. We can complain. We might ask questions or complain about church or about our home or about other people or what's happening in the country. And then we can easily be tempted to look maybe back into the world where we've come from. Maybe it seemed like it was easier when you weren't a Christian. Maybe it's easier in the world where they don't seem to have so many problems. But have we begun to learn what we confess at the beginning of every worship service? Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And that's what the Lord is teaching Israel here. 
And the question is for us as well, have we learned to pray for the things that we so often complain about, for the needs and the trials that we so often face? Because again, here the Lord brings him up against another trial. We see how Amalek attacks. But now before, it doesn't record Israel complaining, but before Israel even has a chance to complain, the Lord intervenes. The Lord shows and demonstrates where their help comes from. And this is Israel's first battle, you could say, and every Christian will face their first battle in their life as a Christian, as a church. And we need to learn early to depend on God alone and no one else for our help. And prayer is an essential part of that dependence. Prayer is an essential aspect to the Christian life, to seek our help from the Lord. And so I have for a theme this afternoon, fighting the Amalekites, a call to prayer. Fighting the Amalekites, a call to prayer. First, then, we are called to pray for every battle. Pray for every battle. Pray for everything, for every circumstance. We see here in verse 8, it says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Well, the Amalekites were descendants of Esau. You know, Jacob and Esau were brothers, and their descendants were at enmity with each other. It also is a picture of Christians, God's people in this world, and the world who are opposed to them, opposed to God. But then in Deuteronomy 25, it talks about this very event when it says Amalek attacked Israel from behind. So you can imagine Israel is moving here through the wilderness. They camp here at Rephidim, and suddenly the Amalekites come around the back, and they attack the back of the camp. Now, who is at the back of the camp? It's likely the animals, it's likely the, the weak, the slower people. Maybe the children are there. And, and so the enemy comes and attacks in the weak place where he sees your weakness. And that's spiritually as well. Our great enemy, Satan, he, he, he seeks to attack us where we are weak, where we are spiritually tired from the journey. He observes us where our weaknesses are, where we stumble, where we, where we fail, where we're prone to fall. But this is also where He attacks the church. This is where we are also facing trials today in this world. You can see how the, target, how the attacks come and they target the children. Children are not able to defend themselves against the anti-biblical ideologies that are coming out, or even to understand what's happening. You can see how the attacks are coming to the vulnerable in our society, to those who are classified as oppressed or minorities. They're using these as a tool to attack the churches. You can see these people who are weary of their own life, their own struggles in life. These are being used, these are being attacked by the world. They don't ever attack the church head-on, but from behind. You see them coming through the workplaces. You see them coming through the school, through, through universities, through social media. But as we go further through this passage, you see how Moses uh, instructs them to battle. In verse 9, it says, Moses says to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. 
and tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So here Joshua is commissioned to gather some soldiers together and to lead an army of capable men to defend the camp. And if you remember the story, when he came to the Red Sea, Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And there's times when the Lord delivers his people without you having to lift a finger. But here he calls him to action. He calls him to go defend and to fight back. And Moses says, and tomorrow I will stand on the hill with the rod of God. Moses would be the intercessor. He would go to God in prayer, you could say. And see, here we already see the, how God equips His church in this world. There are those who are on the hill praying as Moses. There are those who are leading into battle. There's the soldiers who go along into battle. There's those who stay at home caring for the young. And there's even those who are attacked. There, there's, there's all sorts of people that the Lord has in His church. And so Moses will go up the mountain and Joshua will go into the valley to, to the battle. And then in verse 10, it says, So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. And so we can see that at times Israel was winning and at other times Amalek was gaining. And why? What was the difference? Was it maybe their armor? Was it maybe that they were changing their strategies up? Because Amalek certainly had a strategy as they came up and ambushed from behind. Was it maybe because they found a weakness in, in the enemy? Was it maybe because Israelites could fight better on the sand or on the hill and they, they were able to direct the, the, the war that way? There's none of that is mentioned. But it says, when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And when Moses let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. The difference was Moses holding that rod of God pointing to heaven, that banner, that symbol, that Jehovah, Nisi, Jehovah, the banner was there, that their dependence was on God that the victory comes from God alone. In fact, the Lord Jesus says, without me you can do nothing. Doesn't this show us also that our, our need to depend on God, our need to pray to God for all things, our dependence on God is demonstrated by our prayer. To work or to battle without prayer is futile. To go on in our own strength is, is futile. If we're not praying for it, we're not depending on God for it. And this rod was a symbol to remind the Israelites how God had delivered them from Egypt. When Moses stretched out that rod in, in Egypt, the, the plagues came to, to, to plague the Egyptians, to, to free them. When he came to the Red Sea, he stretched out his, his rod and it opened the Red Sea and it could pass through. When they ran out of water, God said, smite the rock with your rod, and the water came out. It was to remind them where their help came from, to, that to trust in the God of heaven and earth, and to appeal for His help in time of need. And so we can ask, where are we prevailing today? 
Where are we prevailing in the Christian life? Or where is the enemy prevailing? Where is the church prevailing? Or where is the enemy prevailing against the church? We think about our Sunday schools or our evangelism or our worship services, preaching. Where are we losing? I'm not asking if it's going how we think it should go. Not, I'm not asking if we think it, it's going as we, we picture victory to be in, in, in the worldly mind, because Paul said he prayed to God three times, and yet the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. He would not remove that thorn in the flesh that he had. Not every sickness will be healed, and not every evil be driven away, but the question is, are you prevailing in the spiritual battle against the enemy by prayer? Is there a dependence on God for all your work in this world? Because the kingdom of the Lord is not advanced without the Lord of the kingdom. Even though, even though the victory is not always what we expect it to be or what we might think it should look like, yet it is the Lord who advances His work by His Holy Spirit. It says here, when, when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And this is something we learn early on in the Christian life, that we do not overcome sin without prayer and without work, without battle. We do not advance as a church except by prayer and battle. And likely most of you have learned this already to some extent. But even though we know that, the second point here, the second thought is that we must prevail in prayer. Prevail in prayer as long as the battle continues. Because Moses could see the effects from the top of the hill where he was sitting. He could see the battle. He could observe in real life what was happening. And when he held his hands up, Joshua prevailed. And so he, he needed to keep those hands up. He knew that he did. And we need to keep those hands up ourselves. Because maybe you've seen it in your life as well. When you prayed, you saw the work of God. You saw how your sins also were driven back when you prayed. You saw how the people that you prayed for were being helped, delivered from their addictions. Some maybe began to seek God or others came to church. And you saw the Lord given healing and recovery from sicknesses or accidents, or even the doctors have to confess and say, this is of the Lord. But then maybe you quit. And maybe you begin to wonder, what happened to those people? Well, did your hands became heavy. You tired out from praying. You needed a rest. You needed a break. He says, but Moses' hands became heavy. You can think of Samson in Judges 15. He says he killed a thousand soldiers, Philistine soldiers, with just the jawbone of a donkey. But after that, he was so tired, so thirsty, he could have been killed by one soldier. He was faint. He ran out of strength. His arms became heavy. The Lord had to refresh him with, with water. We know that prayer is important, and yet the strongest arms will fail. And it's interesting we don't hear anything, read anything here about Joshua. 
It doesn't say Joshua tired out or the soldiers tired out or the soldiers began to flee or, or grew weary or desert the army. But Moses' hands hung down. If we think about our life, it, we don't often grow tired of working, of the battle so much. We'll continue with the formal work, with the sowing, with the watering, with the preaching, the teaching, and working from morning till evening in the, in the work of the church. But we are losing if we are not praying, if we're not depending on the God of the kingdom. And the first to fall is our arms of prayer, because the first activity we tire from is the activity of prayer, the life of prayer, that, that hidden chamber with God, that full dependence on God, that secret life on your knees before the throne of God. Prayer is tiring. Prayer is difficult. And we often think that it's not necessary. We often think we can just put it aside for a while because we don't see the immediate effect like Moses did. It can seem so monotonous. And you think, well, why does Moses just have to stand there with his arms up in the air? We might think that the valuable work of swinging that sword, it's, it's, it's studying in an apologetics or, or it's plowing the fields of study. It's, it's being out there doing something. But prayer is easily overlooked. It's shortened. It's neglected. It's put aside for today because we're so busy on our way to do something. And we easily tire out from it. And the more spiritual the work is, the more likely we are to tire from it. Because if we're honest, we'd rather be in the front line somewhere where it looks like we are contributing to something, that we're doing something. That's how we are by nature. We want to, we're created to work, and it feels like we're contributing to it. And if you look at how many soldiers that Joshua had, he had a whole army But there was only one Moses, and yet when Moses let those hands down, that whole army could not prevail, but it was pushed back. Here again we see when our spirit may be willing, we know the importance, we we hear of the effect, and yet the flesh is weak. So again, as we are reminded here to look at Christ, who is that greater Moses who who is the one interceding in heaven, whose arms never tire for his people, who, who ceases not to pray without stopping interceding at the right hand of God. And this is ultimately why his people are saved, is because even though Moses' hands would tire out, the hands of Christ never tire out. His work is finished. His prayer is continual. His intercession is eternal. And that's why we also must and can depend on Him. And this is how God also demonstrates where our help comes from. We're often so tempted to stop praying when it looks like we're winning. Because how many times do we go to God when things suddenly become difficult, even like it did for the Israelites here, and when it looks like we're losing, then suddenly we need the Lord, then suddenly we're made more earnest in prayer, which is good, but then we stop when it looks like we begin to win. You wonder what Moses thought when he was up there. Oh, it looks like Joshua's winning. I'll put my hands down. I'll take a rest. But the moment he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. So we need to think about this. Have we stopped praying as churches, 
schools, and families. And on the one hand, it's easy to say. On the other hand, it's easy to say we pray as well, but how often do we go to prayer and it feels like our heart is 100 miles away from the issue? It's so hard to be in that moment of prayer earnestly. If you read of Ezra and Nehemiah, how they were convicted, how they laid on the, on the ground before the temple, or before the Lord, seeking His help by the Spirit for, for the Lord to help their people. How often our prayers are so empty. But have we lowered those hands even a little? Are those enemies prevailing? It appears so in our land. We need Joshua's to lead the battles. We need soldiers to defend. But Israel needed to learn that they could only prevail by the power of God. And the very man that they were chiding against, the very man that they were bringing their complaints to, was the very place they should have been going for help, for prayer. The very things that we complain about, that we can talk about endlessly about what's happening in our country, in our church, and the people around us, should be the very things that we bring to God in prayer, for His work, for His grace, for His Spirit to change them. Because all their effort here had no success without Moses. And if you think about the soldiers down in that field, they, they probably did not even notice when Moses' hands were up or when they were down. Because when you're in the front lines at a battle, you're always going back and forth. Those little skirmishes are always going on. And the soldiers probably didn't know when they were actually losing ground. But Amalek prevailed because the prayer failed. Moses' hands were down. That power had waned. That strength was gone. But the soldiers kept on going with hand-to-hand combat. And the same can be true for us. We continue day after day. But do we realize if the power is there or not? There's churches that keep on going, but the power is long gone. The Spirit is gone. How is it in our own life? You keep plugging on day by day against your sins or against this or that, but has your holiness been increasing or decreasing? Are you going back and forth against those old sins that keep rising up and you seem never to win that battle? Is the power gone in our life? Is the joy and the peace gone in our life? We can see how many churches have declined in the past years, and we can see the back and forth with the government as different governments come and go in our country. Some people even compare it to a fish on a line or a fish in a net, as, as the fish is reeled in. And as it comes closer to the boat, it sees the, the, the surface, and it sees the boat, and it gets a scare, and it turns around, and it runs away. It swims away until it's in deeper water, then it stops, and it takes a rest. It's tired out. And so it is in our life when we, when we see the danger, and we see it coming close, we see the pressure put on, and suddenly we, f- we flee to God in prayer. And then as soon as things let off a little bit, you begin to breathe easy, like a fish in deeper water, and yet there seems to be a hook in the mouth. 
and slowly get reeled back again. How many churches, how many schools, how many families have been sucked in with ideologies of the world? We see the dangerous doctrines of this transgenderism, cancel culture, the critical race theory, and all these Marxist agendas being imposed. It's tiring and it's exhausting. And our hands become heavy in the, in the midst of it. Have we lost that power? That success of the church is bound together with that prevailing and fervent and effectual prayer. And that is why we must prevail in prayer. Prevail in prayer individually and for the church of God. But then thirdly, fighting the Amalekites teaches us the need to support one another in prayer. The need for sustaining prayer, to sustain each other in prayer. Verse 12 says, But Moses' hands became heavy, and so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. See, the enemy knows that this is a war against the people of God and against God himself. And this is why they target the flanks. The Amalekites came from the back, from the side, trying to get the weak and trying to get the feeble, trying to get the surprise attack. And that's what we see. They counter the Word of God. They counter the existence of God from the sides. They try to erode the foundations, especially where the young are in universities and in the schools. They try to teach evolution and everything that would erode the foundation of God. We've come to the point where it's no longer so subtle where they're so bold and, and publicly declaring that they no longer want biblical morals to be in our nation. The latest movies are specifically designed with this intent to destroy the marriage. They have a very careful strategy. And they, like the Amalekites, come to the flanks. They've already come very far in this land in removing the law of God and the prayer and the word from schools and courts, etc. And they teach all these many things. And they begin with the vulnerable. That's a strategy they follow. It's a battle against the truth and against everything that is right and good in our land, and it's tiring. It's a tiring battle to wage in our home, in our work, and in her school, and Moses' hands became heavy. And so they found a stone for him here, it says. Aaron and her stood on either side of Moses. They grabbed his hands. That, that word really means they, they grabbed on tightly, and they, they supported his hands. They held his arms up for the rest of the day. And when we faint and when we fail, we need that support, not only the physical support in this life and in this world, as a church community gathers around one another to help one another in times of need, many practical ways. There's many who are physically exhausted and the heavy load they carry day by day. There's a many burden, the many physically or mental or emotional burdens that we carry. 
And it can be like David when he was fighting with his army when he was older. He became tired in battle. And then one of the giants, Ishbi Benob, he thought he could finally kill David. And Abishai stepped in and killed the giant for him. And so it is that we in life often come to these places where it feels like we are finally going to succumb to the enemy. We finally are going to be killed by the enemy, whether it's our sin, whether it's the world, or something that comes against us, where we need those people to help to jump in in any way we can. We need to step in for each other, to, to bear one another's burdens, to, to hold us up when we grow weary in battle, physically but especially spiritually. And the church is there to bear one another's burdens in prayer. And Moses' hands, it says, were steadied until the going down of the sun. And so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Now, how many of you remember the times where you had to go into a situation? Maybe you had to go to talk to somebody. Maybe it was something that was happening, and you feared to go in there, and yet you knew there were people praying for you, and the Lord gave you strength to, to endure. The Lord gave you peace in the midst of it. You know the power that prayer gives that God gives through prayer to help you in a circumstance. Think of the Israelites here, fresh out of slavery, out of Egypt. They have no experience, no training in battle. They don't have proper weapons. And suddenly they find themselves ambushed by a well-equipped army with a good strategy, with a sneak attack coming from behind. How can we face an enemy like this? And now if you think of your own life, you can see this happening. Never before have you had to face a battle like this, and now suddenly you're ambushed. Maybe you didn't see it coming. Your child suddenly says he no longer believes in God. Or he suddenly says he openly lives in sin. Or your work suddenly comes and ambushes you with the pride and transgender ideology. Or suddenly your marriage faces these insurmountable obstacles Suddenly, the government launches these assaults on our children. You see them, how they control the media, how they prohibit counseling people who struggle with sin, how they're even imprisoning pastors who preach in public places. Without Moses interceding, the battle could not prevail. Without Aaron and her, Moses couldn't prevail holding his arms up. And without that rod pointing to God, without that prayer, there is no victory. But together, those hands were steady till the going down of the sun, and Joshua defeated the enemy. Again, both Moses and Joshua direct us. These are pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the greater Joshua the captain of our salvation, the one who, has, who leads the battle against the enemy. And he is the one who has already come out victorious, having died on the cross and having risen from the dead, having defeated Satan and death itself, and who will bring his people through. Then there's a greater Moses as well, who, who pleads that our faith does not fail in the midst of these trials. We need his, his prayer to uphold our, prayer, our, 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 our souls and our faith. And so our hope 
Our only expectation is in this Lord Jesus Christ who has overcome death, who has overcome hell, who has overcome the enemy, and who Himself took our place on the cross under the wrath of God against our sin. And yet, though Christ has won this victory and this war, yet every Christian faces these battles as they travel through this world. And even though God uses the means, it is through God, through, through depending on God, that we must use these means. Because so often we, we turn to the means as the only solution, but it's just like Joshua was called to the battle and Moses was called to intercede. We must use the means, but only with dependence on God, because it's God who alone can give the victory. And so don't be discouraged today. Don't be discouraged in our nation. Don't be discouraged with whatever you might be facing in your family or in your own life or in your own heart. Because though we might be untrained, though we might be undisciplined or poorly armed, or maybe you yourself have been recently saved out of the slavery of sin, you find yourself wandering and complaining like these Israelites, not really knowing what's happening. Maybe you find out like Israel that you have been content with a lot that's going on in your life. But is God sending you to this place to teach you then to trust in Him and to seek Him in prayer? Are you finding that you're tired and weary and heavy laden? Because it's those that Christ says, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest for your soul. Here the Lord has given His banner, as, as He said to, to Moses here, it's Jehovah Nissi, Je, the Lord is my banner, meaning the Lord is their strength. If you read of Constantine, it says that when they saw that banner, that, that, that pole with His emblem on it, that the other armies feared because they knew the power that was behind it. It's the symbol of what lies behind. It's the symbol of God. He teaches us that the presence and the power of Jehovah, the Lord Almighty, is the one who alone can give the victory in battle. It's God who gives the increase, even though we are called as a church to plant and to water, all in dependence on Him. It's God who, who delivers through Jesus Christ, though it requires that dependence on Him. And so we can ask ourselves, who are we? Are we maybe a Joshua leading an army? Are we maybe a soldier who would sign up and follow? Are we maybe a Moses praying for this nation or for the church? I think most of us would say, well, that's not me. I'm not equipped for those positions. But undoubtedly, God does call people to such positions. But then can I ask, are you an Aaron? or a her? What was their duty? It was to stand there and hold up the arms of Moses. Certainly we can all be an Aaron and a her. And what would that require? Well, ultimately, it's dependence on God through prayer. And I would like to personally thank you for the many prayers that you do offer, for those who regularly pray. But I would, with this message, I also want to call this congregation 
to further measures of prayer, to further renewed commitment and purpose together in united prayer. And this is what I request from every one of us here, that every Saturday evening, if you do not do so already, that every one of us as individuals or with our families, if, if we were married, that we come together, and children included, if the children also want to participate in this, set aside a time dedicated to pray on Saturday evening. And if this is new to you, just start small, 10, 15 minutes. And if you're able to do more, do more. But the goal is to build a habit, to build an achievable goal and that's something you repeat every week, that it will be, go with you for the rest of your life every Saturday night to prepare for the Lord's Day with prayer. Every Saturday night for 15 minutes to start. And what I ask you to pray for specifically are two main areas. Because I assume you already pray for yourself, as we often do, but I want you to pray at two main areas. The first is this church. So pick two items from this particular church and write it down and think about how you can pray for it for the coming year, for the coming season. And children can write down something they want to pray for. And here are some examples. Pray for your leaders, your office bearers, the elders, the deacons, the pastor, because we need your support to hold up our hands as we are called to pray for you and to work for you and to lead you. We need your prayers to hold up our hands that we can persist in being faithful and depending on God. You can pray for any ministry of this church, whether it be the preaching, that the Lord would bless the preaching to our hearts, to the saving of sinners. It could be for the, the worship service. It could be for the communion of the saints. It could be for the Sunday school classes that the Lord would bless it to your heart that the Lord would take the message and, and bring it to your heart to save young children, that, uh, that He would use it to build up His church here, now, whether it be the Bible studies. You could pray for certain people in the church, whether they are needy, they have a specific need, health challenges, age, or grief, or that the Lord would pick up the weary that, and the heavy laden. Pray for those who are going to university, as that is an area that people are especially attacked nowadays in their faith. Pray that the Lord would preserve them through university to keep their faith. <clears throat> it's like, like, Aaron, like Aaron and her placing a rock under these people and holding them up in prayer in their daily need and in their spiritual need. And then we are to stand there until the going down of the sun, whatever that means, if it's the end of the world or the end of our life, but do not rest, do not give up until this victory is won for the Lord. Not first, this local congregation, pick a few items that we can pray for together. And then the second, the second item I would like you to pray for is this nation, for the church in this nation. This nation is attacking this church severely, the church of Christ in general. Just like Amalek attacked the people of God in the wilderness. We see it not only in our land, but around the world. 
They're attacking from all sides. And so I, pr- I call you to pray for this church and for the church of Christ in, in Canada. And then in whatever way you want to pray for the revival and for the reformation and for the repentance of our churches and of the schools and of the people in this land that the Lord would bring reviving grace to our land. And I want you to remember this. It was not the strategy that Joshua brought. It was not the amount of soldiers that he brought. But it was the prayer. It was Moses holding his hands up, showing his dependence on God. It's God alone who can give the victory, and this is where we need to put our hope and trust. It's not banding together with a million people to march on Ottawa. It's not banding together with someone else, but it's dependence on God and God alone, the triune God through Jesus Christ. We cannot partner with people who are not united to Christ, but we must depend on God alone, for there alone the battle can be won. So I ask you to do this as a congregation, that together we in our own homes would set aside 15 minutes to however long you want for this specific, these specific issues. And if we all do this together, we can be united as a congregation for this congregation and for the church of Christ. And so... I ask you to join me in this. And as we do so, watch and see what the Lord will do in our land. Amen.